Well, I'm very excited to welcome you to Christ's Journey as we gather once again, whether you're in Kindle Campus, Gables Campus, across the nation, around the world, joining us to church online. And today is a very special day in the life of our church because we're recognizing our graduating seniors and we give it up for the band and the vocalists that just led us in worship. Uh, you can tell you've been somewhere long enough to say, oh, I remember them when they were like this and now they're like, whoa, that. And wow, that was great, wasn't it? Um, guys, we're in the series, Man in the Making, and, um, and I'm wondering if you ever said this to yourself, talking to the men right now, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I don't know if I've got it in me, whatever the this is, right? I think every man in the making has them and has that question, times of uncertainty, where you just don't know, do I have what it takes? Now, I have let the congregation in on some of my more extreme experiences of that in the last year, You know, whether it was like rappelling down a 10-story building backwards here in Gables for, I mean, yeah, in Miami for Youth for Christ, or jumping out of a perfectly good airplane You know, for Daring Greatly. Some of you were around for that a year ago when we launched our Daring Greatly initiative. And, but another one that, uh, that perhaps is more realistic <laughs> for me is like every time I see boiled okra. Do you know what boiled okra is? <laughs> boiled okra is like greased slime. And I don't have any good feelings about boiled okra. In fact, I, it, I just had to try it one time and I think it about cured me. I, I don't know that I have it in me to ever do that again. Uh, and the experience itself is just disgustingly nasty. Now, maybe you like boiled okra, but for me, you know, that's one of those where I'm not sure I have what it takes to do that again. Um, and by the way, my hands are sweaty right now from thinking about, because I'm afraid of heights, and that was part of what I was trying to deal with in uh, jumping out of that airplane, and now it's catching up with me, so. Um, but on the serious side, I think every man faces times of uncertainty, and usually the question that rises at that time is something like this. How do you hold on to your dreams when disappointment body slams you? Now I'm talking real life. You know, when you find yourself on some kind of dead-end situation, whether it's on the job, a job shift that has taken place, you feel like you're going nowhere or you just got reorged or you just got right-sized or you just got whatever that is, you know, and now the deck has been shuffled and you got another hand and you're trying to figure out, can I play this hand or not? Or maybe a financial situation where um, you're asking yourself, do you know, do I cut my losses and get out or do I just hold on, uh, you know, until I get out from underwater? Do I have what it takes to make that happen? Or maybe it's a health situation, and on those, you know, there's no getting out. Some of them, that's only going through. So what you've got is, can I hunker down? Can I get the surgery? Can I receive the chemo? Can I take the treatments? Can I make it? Can I go the distance on this? And it doesn't matter if you're young or old. The question that rises up at every stage of a man's life is this. How many more of these do I have in me? Do I have what it takes to get through this. Now, we don't always say it out loud, but the question echoes, how long until the dream dies? 
And Joseph well could have felt that uh, where he is in his story now. Let me remind you where we left him last time we were with him. Joe is far from home after being sold off and sold out by his betraying brothers. He's now a stranger in a strange land. Never been there before. He's a slave. He's a foreigner. Doesn't speak the language. Doesn't like the food. You know, hasn't eaten the food. Uh, And now he's a prisoner, unfairly accused, unjustly condemned, in a clear rush to judgment. There was no trial. There was no due process. He just went straight to jail. That's where we left him. No recourse, no appeal. And by all accounts, he is now trapped in a dead-end situation. And then Genesis 40, we open the new chapter today, tells us that two new inmates have joined him in the dungeon, in the king's dungeon. Two of the king's most trusted servants, the Pharaoh's most trusted servants, in fact, the baker who's in charge of making all of his food, and um, the candle, the, uh, I mean, I almost said the candlestick maker, the cup bearer, the cup bearer. I don't know where that came from, somewhere in my childhood, I'm sure. Who's in, who, the cupbearer tastes all of his food and all of his drink to test it for contamination and for poison. And somehow, both of them has managed to offend Pharaoh and get themselves thrown and locked up with Joseph. And then one night, they both have a dream, different dream, but they both have a dream, and they're both troubled because neither, one, neither of them knows what their dreams mean, and, uh, and yet Joseph knows that God speaks in dreams, and he also sees that they're troubled, that their faces are anxious about this. So he asks them, what, what are you bothered about? And they tell him, we can't make sense out of our dreams. And Joseph, who knows that God speaks in dreams, offers his interpretation. To the cupbearer, he says, you know, the cupbearer dreamed of a budding, blossoming vine that has uh, three branches on it. And then he sees himself taking grapes from the vine and squeezing them into Pharaoh's cup. And Joseph tells him... um, You know, the three branches are three days, and in three days, Pharaoh is going to restore you to your position. And then Joe says, and oh, when he does, will you please remember me? (laughs) I've done nothing to deserve to be here. Would you ask Pharaoh to get me out of here? And then the baker, having heard the good news that the, the uh, cupbearer's dream yielded, decides to come forward with his. He said, I had a dream too. And in my dream, I see, um, I see three baskets of bread and birds eating Pharaoh's bread out of the top basket on my head. And Joseph says, well, those three baskets are three days. And within three days, Pharaoh is going to have your head. And then he's going to leave the rest of you for the birds. And um, sure enough, three days go by. On the third day, within three days, it was Pharaoh's birthday. The third day was Pharaoh's birthday. He sent for the baker and the cupbearer. And sure enough, just as Joseph said, the cupbearer got his old job back and the baker got executed. Chapter 40. Then guess what? Verse 23. The cupbearer didn't remember Joseph. Oh, man. (laughs) He forgot him. Have you ever felt forgotten? Have you ever been neglected? Have you ever been abandoned? 
Have you ever been overlooked? This is totally Joseph's situation. Chapter 41, when two full years pass. Two years. Pharaoh has a dream. Now, he's standing by the Nile, and out of the river come seven beautiful fat cows, and they're grazing on the reeds, and then seven other cows come out. They're skinny, they're gaunt, they're ugly cows, and they stand right beside the pretty ones when suddenly those skinny, ugly cows swallow up the good fat cows, the beautiful ones. And then Pharaoh wakes up, and then he goes back to sleep. He has another dream. Second dream, seven heads of grain growing on a stalk. They look good, they look healthy. And then he sees another rise up, seven other heads sprout, and they are thin and they are scorched. And suddenly they swallow up the good ones. And Pharaoh wakes up. What was that? Oh, it was just a dream. But it's so troubling to him that he wants to know what does it mean? And guess who's standing by the cupbearer? And guess who remembers? Hey, there was this guy. And he helped me out. And I think he might be able to help you out. He remembers Joseph. And, um, and Joseph is called in. And the first thing he says is, you know, I don't think I have it in me. I can't do it. I mean, God could do it through me, but, but I don't have it in me <laughs> to do it. And then he proceeds to tell him. He says, you know, both dreams are the same. God is showing you what's about to happen. The seven good cows and the seven healthy heads of grain mean seven years of abundance. And then those seven ugly cows and those seven scorched, you know, thin heads of grain, that's seven years of famine, and the entire land is going to be ravaged by this. Now, that would be the equivalent of an economic depression and worse in their day. And then he says, the reason there were two dreams is because God wants you to know he's firm on this. He's surely going to do it. It's going to happen. And then he steps up like Joseph is wont to do with his M.O., he steps up and he always brings his best self into the situation, you know, and he essentially says this, now that we know the problem, here's a possible solution. Verse 33, let Pharaoh get the right leader, wise and discerning, put him in charge, authorize him to oversee the preparations for the famine, collect food during all those fat good years, and then distribute it to use during the years of famine. And verse 37, it says, Pharaoh you know, consults with his officials for a little bit, and he says, hey, do you guys know anybody better than Joseph for this job? And then he says, and the Spirit of God is on him. Verse 41, Pharaoh gives him the job. Bam! <laughs> With a ring of authority on his finger and linen robes in his wardrobe and some bling to go on his neck, gold bling. And then he says, and hey, I want you to ride right beside me here on my chariot next to me. Makes him second in command. He puts him in charge, prime minister, and gives him a high society daughter for his wife. Verse 46 says that Joseph is 30 years old when that happens, 30 years old, which means that for the past 13 years, he's been a slave and a prisoner. He's known the dungeon and he's known the disaster in Potiphar's home. And now, I mean, imagine this, he's riding shotgun with Pharaoh on his chariot. 
What is he feeling? What is he thinking? And then it goes on to tell us that during those seven years of plenty that Joseph and his new wife have two sons. One, they name Manasseh, which means God has made me forget my troubles. I guess so. And what that means is my betraying brothers, my dysfunctional family, all the mess that I came out of. And then the second one, he names Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Hear that. In the land of my suffering, God has made me fruitful. And then all the chapter ends with all the surrounding nations coming to Egypt to buy grain from guess who? Joseph. Joseph, who's like the man in charge now because the famine was severe in all the world. Now, what a story, and it's not over yet. But before we get where we're going next week, there is some gold that has tremendous spending value to be mined out of this for us right now. And the central, the central theme, I think, is the overall um, mother load of that gold. Here it is. When you dream God's dream, you've got what it takes to fight through the night. That's my summation. When you dream God's dream, you've got what it takes to fight through the night, that night of disappointment when stuff is going wrong even though you've been doing what's right. That night of delay when even though you did your best, you got abandoned and forgotten and neglected. And you're wondering, do I have it in me? in the dungeon of disappointment, which is where Joseph has just been for two years. What does he do? Well, verse 39, chapter 39, the end of chapter 39 says that this is where we left off last week. He does what he always does. His MO, his modus operandi, his default setting in the life of Joseph is, you know what? You gotta always do your best, stay positive and live your faith. And so here's what I wanna say. Guys, to the men in the room who may find yourself in one of those situations now, now, ladies, this applies to you. I'm not leaving anybody out, but we're focusing on the making of a man and Joseph is our model. And what we're supposed to learn from this, I think first is every one of us can do this. You can do your best, you can stay positive, you can live your faith. Now we learned that last week. Faith is the yeast in your life by which you can rise to the occasion. Remember my grandma's cinnamon rolls? Yeah, tastes good. But faith is the yeast, the secret ingredient that causes you to rise to the occasion. So whatever else happens, those are three tools that will always come to your aid and we see Joseph using them again. But then in these chapters, he's got three more to add to your toolkit. The first one is this, emotional intelligence. Lots been written and said about this, but it rises up in Joseph's life. Verse seven, he sees these other guys in jail and he says, why are your faces so sad? See, his radar's up. He's emotionally aware. He's applying his mind and heart and soul in the situation where he is. Why are you so sad? He lets sensitivity and is responsive. His sensitivity lead him to respond to the feelings of the cellmates in the prison around him. Sometimes when we're in a bad situation, God may just have you there so you can pay attention to somebody else around you, you know? That's what he's doing here, emotional attention. Even though he's saying, hey, can you get me out of here? Yeah, but while we're in here, what are we gonna do? Well, you can do that too, can't you? I don't know what your situation is today, but I, can, I know this, you can be aware, you can be sensitive to the feelings around you. Even if you say, well, I'm not an emotional kind of guy. You can, be, you can be sensitive. Paul says, you can connect emotionally to somebody else's needs. 
And Paul says, actually, in 2 Corinthians, this is how God raises ministers out of men. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, God comforts us in our troubles. That means he's sensitive to your feelings. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received. We're supposed to grow emotionally, and trouble is the place where God wants to help us do that. Suffering can help us. I'm not saying you like this news. I'm just saying it's true. Suffering can help you be sensitive if you're open to God. So how do we apply this in our situation right now? Just ask this. Whatever situation you're in, ask God this. Lord, would you open my eyes to see somebody else in the mess that I'm in? Get my eyes off of me and into the faces and hearts of those around me so that I can develop emotional intelligence while I'm here. Second, little gold nugget here, apply your spiritual gifts. (laughs) They need to know what do our dreams mean? And Joseph has got the gift, doesn't he? He knows how to do this. He says, but it's not me. I'm telling you, it's not me. I don't have what I take, but God through me can help. And so he brings his gift into their situation and he offers some help. And the apostle Peter says, that's what believers are supposed to do too. He writes this in his letter. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has to serve others, faithfully administering God's gifts. So here's the thing Peter says, and boy, if there was an emotional man, it's Peter. He knew how to get angry. He knew how to rise high, how to dip low. But here's what he's saying. Real men that are following Christ don't sit around and whine. They step up and serve and they apply their gift, whatever situation they're in. Joseph does that. You can too. Am I right? Say amen. amen. It's true. It's true. You can do that. You don't have to just sit there. You can do something with the gift you have. Third, share God's truth. Joseph was true to tell the truth he knew. And he shared it with others that were willing to listen. Believers can do that too. In fact, that's what Apostle John says. 1 John 1, 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Hey, we're telling it the way we understand it, but we want you in on it so that you may have fellowship with us. Now, yes, the night will come even to children of light. But from Joseph, here's what we learn. When you're dreaming God's dream, you've got what it takes to fight through the night. But there's one more huge tool. See, there's three more. We just went over them. But here's one more huge tool that God wants us to have here, and we see it in chapter 41, because his night isn't over for two more years full years, he says, seven, over 700 more days in that dungeon, forgotten by outsiders, overlooked by the ones he helped, dismay and discouragement, you know, constantly trying to break his spirit day after day. How do you make it through the long, dark night? That's the question the story's raising, and it's got the answer for us too. How about this? You gut it out. You gut it out through the grace of grit, the power of perseverance. Suddenly, I mean, (laughs) day after day, night after night, 600, 651, 713, you know, I mean, just add them up, just gutting it out night after night. Suddenly he gets the call. Can you come up and see Pharaoh? What? Okay, I'll be right there. And next thing you know, he's standing in front of Pharaoh and he's, what does he humbly say? I can't do this. Verse 16, I can't interpret your dream. 
But God can, and he could do it through me. And so once again, we see him doing what? Well, he's doing his best, he's living his faith, he's applying his gift, and he's sharing his truth. It's the same stuff we always see him doing. Now he's just doing it again. And then when the door of opportunity opens, guess what? I mean, this once naive dreamer's faith has now been tempered into a discerning wisdom. And it seems to have prepared him to handle seven coming years of adversity, doesn't it? And famine, how did Joe know that he could handle that? When that job was kept given, how did he know he could do it? Well, you know what? He's got his own experience. Hey, you know what I just came through? You know what? I've survived. Let me tell you about the last 13 years of my life. And then you tell me if you think I can do this job. Of course they knew he could do the job. It was Pharaoh's chief of police who had Joseph working for him when he was succeeding under his rule. And now he's standing before him and look what he had just survived. Years of vile darkness in an Egyptian prison, the confusion of disappointment and delay. How did he do it? I think he just gutted it out by grace day by day. The grace of grit. Now what's grit? You look it up, you'll find all kinds of definitions. Resolve, fortitude, Determination, tenacity, perseverance, backbone, nerve. <laughs> In other words, grit means you don't just sit around wishing for some other story. What you do is you live full, live to the full the story you're in. You live to the full the life that you've got instead of wishing for somebody else's life. Just like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 again, he says, you know what? I mean, he went through all kinds of hardship right? Abandoned, beaten up, lost at sea, the list goes on. But this is what he says. We don't dare classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. They measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. You know what? They're not wise. What's he saying? A man in the making guards himself against jealousy. Comparing yourself to somebody else's story, wishing for another life. No, no, no. Instead, here's what you do. You let God write your story and then you live it out to the full. And that's what I want to say to you as brothers. You say it to me too. You got to live your life. You got to live your life every day. You got to live your life come what may. And it doesn't matter what comes. Here's what you got to do. You got to live every day like it might be your last. And believers, that's what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us throw off everything that hinders, everything that hinders. I got no mercy. I'm going to throw off everything that hinders me. And I'm going to, and the sin that so easily entangles, we saw Joseph do that too, didn't we? Threw it off. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Not self-pity, not in the mirror, not, oh man, I got it so bad. No, fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is writing a story with your life. And after we've prayed for God to have his way with our lives and we surrender ourselves as fully as we know how to his plan and purpose for our lives, then you know what you gotta do? You just get up and you live your life. You get up and you live your life every day, whatever comes before you. How are you going to do it? You run with perseverance. It's like Max said earlier, even though it makes you throw up at the end of the day, you don't give up. And I'm proud of Max for that. A man in the making with grit. 
You know, one of the most poignant examples of the making of a man in American history, you already know the answer to this, but he suffered defeat after defeat. See if you know who I'm talking about. In 31, when he was 29 years old, he failed in business. The next year, 32, he was defeated in the legislature. The next year, he failed in business again. In 35, his wife-to-be died, lost the love of his life. In 36, he had a nervous breakdown. In 38, he was defeated for Speaker of the House. In 43, he was defeated for a bid in Congress. In 48, he was defeated again for Congress. And then in 49, he was rejected as land officer. And in 50, his son died. In 54, he was defeated for Senate. In 56, for Vice President. In 58, defeated for Senate again. And in 1861, at 51 years of age, Abraham Lincoln was elected to be the President of the United States of America and held the nation together through the horrific divisiveness of slavery. Sometimes you got to fail your way to success. Is that what Lincoln did? Is that what Joseph did? Is that what you got to do? Sir, brother, dad, man in the making? Does it happen any other way? I don't think so. It's what Joseph does. He just fails his way to success. But you just keep gutting it out and gritting it out. That's grit. If at first you don't succeed, you're in good company. You know, Einstein didn't speak until he was four years old, and then he didn't speak fluently until he was nine years old. And actually, he was expelled from school. This is a Nobel Prize man in the making, greatest mind of the 20th century. Michael Jordan, basketball goat, perhaps greatest of all time. You know what he likes to talk about? I missed over 9,000 shots in my career, and 26 times it was the game-making shot. It was the game-winning shot. Failing his way to success, Steven Spielberg made such poor grades in high school that the University of Southern California Cinematic Arts refused his admission. And not just once, repeatedly, because of his bad grades. Walt Disney went bankrupt early in his career, perhaps you knew that, and then he was fired from a job because he wasn't, quote, creative enough. Every man, listen, every man in the making deals with disappointment and failure. Thomas Edison, one of the Florida claims to fame over on Fort Myers coast. You know, uh, his teachers told him that he was, quote, too stupid to learn anything, close quote. Meanwhile, he went on to hold over a thousand patents and invented things like the electric light and the phonograph and the movie camera. Our world be different if he didn't fail his way to success. J.K. Rowling of Harry Potter fame, she was rejected 12 times. She was told not to quit her day job. Rejection's no fun, betrayal's worse. Dungeons are vile, famines are hard. (laughs) If you're in one, feel this, but they all play a part in the making of a man. Brothers, don't be discouraged. Sometimes you don't know what you know until it's put to the test. Graduates, am I right? And then when you pass the test, you get the degree. You get the diploma. The test doesn't come to trip you up. The test comes to show you off. It's a silly poem, 
but I shared it before. But you know, the, the, the bottom line here is still this. When you're dreaming God's dream, you've got what it takes. You're wondering, do I have what it takes? Yeah, when you dream God's dream, you've got what it takes to fight through the night. Silly poem, two frogs. Told you this before. Fits really good here though. Two frogs fell into a can of cream or so I heard it told. The, shy, the sides of the can were shiny and steep. The cream was deep and cold. Oh, what's the use, cried frog number one. Tis fate, no helps around. Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye, cruel world. And weeping still, he drowned. But number two, of sterner stuff, dog paddled in surprise. And while he wiped his creamy face, he dried his creamy eyes. He said, uh, I'll swim a while at least, he said. Or so I heard he said. It really wouldn't help the world if one more frog were dead. So for an hour or so, he kicked and swam. Not once he stopped to mutter, but kicked and kicked and swam and kicked and hopped out via butter. That's grit. You know what? You can feel sorry for yourself when disappointment comes or you can fight through the night because you've got what it takes. Pass the test. Gil Bryant is a longtime friend. He's a Christ journeyer for 20 years. He was first invited to this church family through a fellow teacher at school. He came at the invitation. He met Christ. He was baptized 18 years ago. He, he, and then a fellow member invited him to join a volunteer serving team. You may have met him because he helps receive the offering sometimes. And uh, then he was discipled by one of our staff who, who befriended him and said, you know what, you call me at, even if it's 2 a.m. in the morning, which Gil said he did. And um, he retired in 2013 from 45 years of teaching at Miami Jackson High, an inner city school, public school, where he'd given his life to helping young people prepare to face the challenges of life. 40 years, perfect attendance as a teacher in that school. And then after retirement, he's at a Marlins game when he starts feeling so bad and nauseated that he has to leave the game and um, had to go to the hospital after surgery to remove that ruptured appendix. His doctor told him, you know, I noticed some dark things on your, on your lungs. I need to take a closer look at that. And so he did. And after a serious look, the doctor came back and told him stage four cancer, both lungs. Didn't metastasize, it began there. Uh, Gil told me, Bill, I've never had a cigarette in my, in my mouth my whole life. Obviously shocked. Then he told me that a young lady came to him and said, you know, she wanted to talk about suicide. He said, sure, come on in. He said, no, 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 not me, you. The insurance company sent me. You know, when people discover this kind of news, we always come out. And uh, he told me then his primary oncologist, after consultations with 12 other doctors, said, you know, I'm not going to beat around the bush on this. You have days, maybe weeks to live. So it's time to get your finances in order, call together all your loved ones, you know. He couldn't believe it. I remember when he told me um, here on a Sunday right before worship, and what a what a body slam it felt like to me. Well, two surgeries followed, one ablation procedure, four months of chemo, three years of radiation, 14 doctors, seven hospitals, and four med centers later. Last week, he told me he was at a ball game with his doctor, the same oncologist that told him he had days to live, and that was five years ago. And 
Gil happened to bring it up, and the doctor's response was, you know, kind of to turn his palms upward and go, well, like, who knew? And Gil said, you know, I just pointed skyward because God knew that Gil would have what it takes to get through the dark night of the soul, and on February 2018, Gil was declared cancer-free. Now, I am so thankful for our medical doctors and for the applied brilliance that they bring to our health care. I hate cancer. I want it to die, you know? And I feel so privileged to be able to serve on the board of the Miami Cancer Institute. But when cancer comes knocking on your door, you got a choice to me. You can either feel sorry. This is what Gil's story tells me. You can either feel sorry for yourself or you can fight through the night and become a victor in Christ, whatever happens. So here's really the question. It's not cancer for you. What's your prison? What's your dungeon? And who's holding the key? Really, who's holding the key? To some degree, it's you. Now, it's not all you. I know that. It's not all you. But you know what? You are the one who gets to decide if you're going to use your emotional intelligence. You're the one who gets to decide, am I going to apply my spiritual gifts? You're the one who decides, can I share God's truth in the midst of this dungeon? And can I gut it out by the grace of grit? And the answer to those questions is yes. I know the answer to every one of those questions is yes. Do you know why I know that? Because when you dream God's dream, you have what it takes. Doesn't always feel like it, but you have what it takes to fight through the night. And I want you to pray with me about that right now. Gracious almighty God, we thank you for the powerful story of Joseph and how it's not just a story, it's life, and it's not just his, it's ours. Every one of us knows what the dungeon feels like, what it feels like to be abandoned, to be overlooked, to be neglected, to be abused, to be betrayed, to feel so disappointed because of a delay or some circumstance that threatens to swallow us up or take us out or hurt our loved ones. And yet... We worship you because in spite of the dark night, your light can shine in us and through us. And we thank you for the story of Joseph. I thank you for the story of Gil, our own modern day Joseph. And I'm praying for somebody right now who's finding themselves in that situation, some situation. Is it you, brother? Is it you, sister? Would you lean toward God right now? Lord, I don't know if I have what it takes to believe. I don't know if I have what it takes to trust. Okay, can you just lean forward a little bit in your chair and say, Lord, if you can help me know how to trust, then I'm open. I'm just not willing right now. It hurts too much. It's just, I'm not willing. Oh, well, let me ask you, are you willing to let God help you be willing? I'm willing to become willing. Okay, well then let him meet you right there. And Father, we pray your healing presence through your sufficient grace to just apply mercy and strength that will cause us just to keep persevering one more day until the call comes and the clouds part and the sun shines again.
thank you that your promises are true. We receive them now in Christ. And if you're here without Christ today, but would like to know him, then here's a step forward in that direction. You can pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I believe you went to the cross and into the grave to cover the penalty of my sin and to remove what would separate me from God. So I receive it right now. I receive the forgiveness of sin and I open my life to the presence of your life. I believe you rose from the dead so that now your life can come alive in me. And I open my heart and invite you in. And so, Lord, I'm turning from my way of doing it by myself to walking with you and following your way. And I trust you. Now, our head's still bowed for a moment, but if you prayed to ask Christ to come alive in your heart with me in that prayer, and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, can I ask you just to raise your hand? Nobody's looking but me, but just raise your hand and hold it up just for a second. I can look around the room. God bless you. To my right, toward the back, God bless you. Amen. And right here on the aisle in the center, God bless you, sir. Anyone else? Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand is signifying an open heart, would you pour your spirit according to your promise into their soul right now that they could feel your presence, know your love, and experience the lift that the joy of salvation can bring. And we make our prayer in your name. Amen. Now, you know what? Gil is right here. Stand up, Gil. Buddy, right there. Look at him. Alive and well to the glory of God.